0: Dominique Curl. And when I met Dominique many years ago, uh, she was my cleaning lady. I'll be really honest about that. I hope it's okay to say that, Dominique. But I was a cleaning lady once as well. It's a great way to make money if you're ever looking. Um, But the thing that was amazing about Dominique is how easily and quickly we hit it off as friends, literally just like instantly loved each other. And I'm not sure why. I, well, I know why I love Dominique, but I'm not sure why she loves me and I'll give her all the time in the world to tell me. But really what I want to tell you is um, one of the most fascinating things about Dominique when I first met her was that she was a private detective. Uh huh. She'll tell us some of that stuff. So I was telling a friend earlier today that I would be interviewing Dominique this afternoon and that sometimes I felt like I wanted to do the cleaning and let Dominique sit down. So she could just tell me stories about being the private detective. I would happily clean just to listen to her stories. But the other thing I love about Dominique is like many of the women I've had on this podcast thus far, she is a force to be reckoned with. She is powerful, engaging, intelligent, just, there's no stopping her. You put anything in front of her and she's going to go for it and go for it 10 times over. And so that's what she brings to our podcast today. She's going to tell us a lot about herself and about her, you know, as we like to say the journey that she's on, but you know, what she brings to it and that dedication and the no stopping me. And she's always going to find a way to make it work. This is the gift she has. So I want all of you to enjoy it as we chat today. So, Dominique, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for all the kind words. Of course, of course. I mean, it's not like I haven't said them before. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I would go to Dominique's office and just literally stand there with my pom poms and be like, Dominique, Dominique, because I think she's so amazing. All right, so Dominique, let's talk a little bit about your background. I know that you're from this area. Just give us the, you know, Reader's Digest version of Who is Dominique Die Curl?
1: Well, I was born in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and I have resided here my life, my whole life. Um, I grew up in a royal area um, called Lost Pavement. Oh, right. Lost Pavement. Such a strange name, right? Right. Uh, we had a small farm with cows and a couple horses, and um, lots of my youth was spent um, carrying firewood and... Um, you know, I was lucky to have a best friend that lived right out the gravel road from me. So, um, I was thinking about that just yesterday, how amazing it was that even though I lived and it seemed like so far, it was only three miles from town, but to get your friends, parents to drive three miles out of town to bring someone over, it was just not, they never wanted to do that. So I was lucky that I had a best friend Um, that lived on the same gravel road. So if we got snowed in or, or anything, we could just walk to each other's house. So um, I have one sister, she's four years younger than me. And um, my grandma and grandpa lived on the farm with us. So um, I remember, you know, on Christmas morning, we would wait for my grandma, we would have to wait, we would always wake up insanely early at like 6am and then have to wait for um, grandma and grandpa to come over so that we could open our presents <laughs> so that wasn't you know we were always like come on get over right, here right hurry up um, but I'm so thankful for that um, time that I got to spend with them because we could just you know pop over anytime um, they m- my dad was from Akron Ohio okay. and my mom was from here um, and my grandma and grandpa gave them some a couple acres on their farm and then we moved there Mm -hmm. um so yeah there you are that's it that's it
0: Mm -hmm. and then you went to where did you go to high school
1: um I went to Parkersburg South High School okay okay
0: now I know exactly Mm -hmm. where that is there was a time where that would have been foreign to me but I know it's so well
1: and yes then
0: What I'd like you to do is leap us forward a little bit into the private detective work.
1: Just give us a couple of stories. Well, that's actually a pretty interesting story. Um, I was, um, let's see. Well, I went to WVUP for a little while and then I decided- that would be
0: West Virginia University, the Parkersburg extension, just for people Right. don't know. And
1: I was going for criminal justice um, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, you know, that period in time where you have no idea what you want to do, but this sounds interesting. Right. So um, at at that time through an acquaintance, I met um, my now friend Joyce's sister, Deb. Um, You know who Joyce is. Nobody else is going to, but um, (laughs) their sister owned a um, investigative firm. And um, I was so interested in they were actually hiring an investigator and, you know, I thought that was like not a realistic expectation of employment around this area, but um, they had actually been in business for like 10 years and working with um, public defenders on criminal cases for that long. So, you know, it wasn't just a fly by night thing. It was actually stable. And um, so anyway, I didn't have any experience doing that. And I, I talked um, Deb into getting me a lunch with her sister so that I could beg her for employment.
0: Can I just say, so this is, this is classic Dominique. I didn't have any experience, but I really wanted it. So I talked Joyce into getting into introducing you to Deb, get a lunch. Now you're getting a picture of why Dominique is who she is.
1: Okay. (laughs) please continue. So, so needless to say, um, I just kept on, um, you know, saying, I I really think I can do this job. If you just give me the chance, you can pay me like the lowest amount in the world and I'll prove my worth just if you give me this job. So, um, you know, she, she, she decided that she would give me a try because I wasn't, I was persistent. And um, so I started working on misdemeanor cases. Um, so what's an example of a misdemeanor? Um, you know, uh, basically shoplifting. Um, oh, let me think. It's, it's a charge that carries a lower um, sentence. Okay. Um, so, you know, um, I'm trying to think of some of the well, shoplifting, other- that's a good, I mean,
0: it's different, auto theft would be a felony.
1: Right. If you shoplift something for $10, it's going to be a misdemeanor. If you shoplift something for 3000, it's going Mm -hmm. to be a felony. Okay. All right. Okay. But, um, there were a lot of, basically what I would do is it, and there were a lot more things than just shoplifting because there's not a lot you can do as investigation on those cases, but you know, I would work on child abuse and neglect cases, um, And basically, I would first interview the person that was charged with the crime, and then I would talk to them and see who their witnesses were and see if they had a defense, and I would interview witnesses, um, find out, you know, if legit they were not guilty or guilty, and then Try to build a case, help build a case for the attorney around what information I get. So, you know, conducting reports and getting them back to the attorney and working hand in hand with the attorney to, to do, to, to put on a good defense for the um, okay, person so that was charged attorney. with the crime.
0: Okay. So this is, I, for I served,
1: I served over like a million subpoenas while I was there. I and it is really funny because everybody's always like, you know, um, Did you ever did you ever have any bad experiences when you served a subpoena because obviously that's not the highlight of someone's day to to receive a subpoena but honestly I never had a problem. I would just always be as nice as I could be you know I'm so sorry I'm just a message person here's your subpoena have a good day, once again (laughs) I'm really sorry. you know. And that was, now
0: was that all over West Virginia or here specifically in Wood County or?
1: Yes, I started out in Wood County and then our company grew. And the last two years that I was an investigator, I worked in Randolph County in the Elkins area for um, Cooper Law Firm and just a couple attorneys that were located there. So most of my work was done in, um, you know, Elkins and Parsons and surrounding areas um, in the mountains. So that was pretty exciting. And then um, I did a lot of surveillance um, because I was the new investigator and I was low on the totem pole. So, you know, I would be the one that would get the calls at 2 a.m. to go out and and do surveillance and um for marital cases or custody cases okay and so you're observing if people are coming
0: or going or all those types of things and how did you I mean you know all I can think is Hollywood like you're in your car and you're low in your seat you're smoking your cigarette not that you smoke um but any of those things I mean is that really is that oh yeah I mean
1: at first I was like really excited um But then I, I realized know. that sitting in your car for eight hours is not ideal. Yeah, because um, you can't like look at your phone, right, or play read a book. I mean, you have right, to you can miss on something on in an instant. Yeah, yeah. right, you can yeah. miss something in an instant. And um, you're invading people's privacy. Um, but you know, in some cases, probably we helped people, you know, get the closure that they needed and things. It wasn't <clears throat> my favorite part about the job. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I I
0: also would be concerned for my own safety.
1: Oh you yeah. Know, if somebody
0: saw you and came and realized what you were doing, mm-hmm. you know, did you ever have to tail somebody?
1: Yes, and the, and that was the part that I def- definitely didn't like about it because you're you're like running stop signs and <laughs> you're trying to stay up with people and you're losing them in traffic. Um I would lose a lot of people in traffic a lot yeah. of times. Yeah. It's really not. I mean, I think
0: that's one of the misconceptions when we watch, you know, police on TV, even real life police. I mean, it's just not that easy to keep up with people, but with, you know, without them knowing it's you or what you're doing. And right. uh, it takes a lot of, it just takes a lot of skill, patience, ingenuity, right? Yes. So you took all this. So is there any particular story you'd like to share with us? Can you give us one particular thing that you remember working on a case that you remember working on?
1: Well, it kind of brings me into what I'm doing now. Um, I was, I was working in Appalachia and I was working with people in poverty that had been charged with a crime and I soon realized, um, and my boss was an amazing lady that let me go above and beyond, but I joke all the time. I carried this Brown folder that had treatment applications in there for substance abuse treatment because More times than not, it seemed that I was running into people that just had a substance use disorder or an Mm -hmm. underlying mental health condition that got them in this predicament that Mm -hmm. they were in, or it was a generational thing. So their parents, you know, were using substances with them at an early age, you know, um, lots of factors go into it, but really what it came down to is that they had never really been offered help or knew there was help out there. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. so I carried this brown folder around and my, and my boss allowed me to do this, even though it wasn't part of my job. And I would give them information Mm -hmm. on substance use treatment or mental health disorder treatment, um, to try to get them into a program. So that way in a couple months, I'm not seeing them again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there were, um, just a lot of people that were struggling and, and, and that, that had, that had got them to where they were. Um, you know, a lot of people were stealing for substance substances or, you know, to get money, to get substances or whatever. So, but I would realize that when I would interview these people that they were not just what their crime was, you know, they had this whole long history of just, trauma and poverty and you know all these things that they've they've went through to, and, and you know didn't have a lot of resources to overcome these barriers so I um, was able to do that and I really started loving to be able to just you know give them the resources that they needed to get them into programs and then see them turn their life around and then they come back and they're like you know if, if you hadn't given me these resources, I wouldn't have made it out of where I was. I love that. I
0: mean, and I think this is one of the reasons why I'm so happy you're on the show today. Because, you know, a lot of people just do what they have to do. They don't, they aren't going to go above and beyond. They're not going to carry around a brown folder. They're not going to recognize the underlying causes of these issues and try to address those issues and make the world a better place many people, this is what I get paid to do. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to go home at night and forget the rest of it. And I think Dominique, this is why, of course, I love you because you, you really see what humanity needs and you reach, you just go to every length possible to provide that thing. And sometimes it's just as easy as an application, just raising awareness of what somebody needs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just think that's amazing. So tell us, then, uh, this is where you're leading—is how you were doing that work till that led you to the next job at the public defender's office, which I think yes, again, so
1: just classic Dominique. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, one of the attorneys that I had worked for as an investigator um, became the chief chief public defender. We we didn't have a public defender office in our county. We were one of the last places to get a a corporation Mm. so basically the public defenders worked out of their own individual offices and we worked for most of those uh public defenders um but she had um she had said that she would have a she had a position open as a paralegal so um i was i was starting to get i guess i was ready to to move on and do something different i i was i did that for 10 years And, um, it was so, it was such a trip though, you know, I got to travel and, and I got to work on some murder cases and things like that. And, you know, it was a great time, but I was just ready to move on. And, um, so I applied for this position uh, as a paralegal at the public defender office and I got that position. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, I, I thought, I I was a, let me go back. I do have two sons and I was a single mom at the time. I had a um, teenage son and a very small son. And I had traveled a lot when I was an investigator. So I would go stay in Elkins on Thursday and Fridays sometimes. And I just wanted to, I wanted to stop traveling. I wanted to be at home more. So I thought this would be an opportunity for me to be at home more and to not just be, you know, having to get up and go and, and stuff. So anyway, I took this position and I was in this, I, you know, here I am after all this year of just kind of being a gypsy traveling all over the place and doing all this. Now I'm sitting at a desk nine to five, right. Um, as a paranormal. every day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, and I kind of thought, what was I thinking? You know, I'm not going to lie. I was like, Oh, I a don't know. A lot of know. people
0: are thinking that right now. What was she thinking?
1: Yeah. yeah. and I, I was thinking, I don't know if this is what I want to do. So about that time um, the we were I don't know what a co-worker had mentioned to me that the chief had put in a um, grant for a position as a substance abuse mental health treatment coordinator. And the reason she was telling me this is because I had brought that brown folder with me to the public defender because I knew I was gonna need it. And actually when some of the attorneys around the office um, would say, hey, we need to get this person into treatment because let me explain that you can get a plea deal, you know, to go to treatment as opposed to incarceration. Right. And and I'm really a strong advocate for that for, for many people maybe not people that have violent crimes, but people that are actively using and get charged with a crime. And I think a lot of times we see those people come in and out and in and out. And actually, you know, there had been people that I worked with, you know, seven or eight years prior that were still coming up in some of the names at the public defender office. Mm -hmm. So, these people had never gotten treatment and are still trapped in Struggling. this you know, yeah. cycle. So um, they, she, they said they were gonna be hiring for somebody that would be a substance abuse and a mental health treatment coordinator for the attorneys to um, to get resources for these folks to get them into treatment as opposed to incarceration. And I was like, oh, Okay, well, that's why I'm here. That's yeah, right. what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> right, right. So when
0: you and, say, and it, oh, that's why I'm here, can you talk a little bit about your, I mean, that sounds to me when you say something like that, that you have some kind of philosophy about where you're placed or what you're doing in, in, in the world. So do you, have, what's your backs, what's the, you know, behind the scenes philosophy that you have about your calling? I mean, if any, I mean, maybe you don't, maybe you're just, I don't know, but it sounds interesting.
1: Well, You know, I just feel like throughout life, whenever I've felt like maybe this isn't the right thing for me, it always seems like things line up and I finally see the big picture. Um, You know, and this is where I'm meant to be, because if not, I wouldn't have gotten this opportunity. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, I've had a job since I was like 15 years old. I've always worked. So I've always had a strong work ethic. And I think, you know, the harder you work, you know, eventually things will work out for you.
0: That's exactly what I mean. This is what I mean when I think about you, Dominique. You're just like, you know, you use the word persistent. You know, I just keep going for it. And uh, I, and of course, because I have worked with you. I mean, I know this about your indomitable spirit. You know, there is just no stopping you. And why should anybody stop you? I don't know. But, you know, many times, as you know, just from the work that you've done, there's roadblocks get put up or. People don't want to put forth the effort, or um, they don't have the information, and a lot of a lot of stumbling blocks that people throw up. And um, Dominique will be your number one um, stumbling block remover, right? Right. So right. so you get, get to-,
1: to go ahead. But you know. Um- the biggest reason probably that I don't pursue th- pursue as much things is because of the negative self-talk that um, I have, yeah. to, that I'm not good enough to do this or that I'm not going to be successful. And I think that I had all of those feelings about this new position. And that's actually when you stepped in and really helped me at the Public Defender, um, you know, as far as like holding my hand through that process. I mean, I feel like that program wouldn't have... Now I'm going to toot your horn, but you know, I don't think that program would have been as successful if I wouldn't have had your leadership early on about, you know, some strategies that I should use because this was, and you know, they said that you're going to be starting this program from the ground up. And I'm like, I can't start a program. How am I going to start a program? Like, you know, I'm just, I'm just freaking out thinking I can't do it. And, um, but I knew that you could, because I know you. You know, I've seen you in
0: action and you knew that you could because you applied for the job and it's true, you know, you did need some assistance, but that's the assistance anybody needs if they don't have that kind of experience. I mean, all of us go through that where we are the student, you know, sometimes I'm the student, sometimes I'm the teacher. And a friend of mine, I was talking with Marianne Goldweber, my last interview, and um, you know, she was, she was, you know, that phrase, the teacher appears when the student is ready and as we move forward or do anything, if we're open to it. The people that can help us will be there and sometimes we're the ones that need the help i've certainly been in that position and i was thrilled to be in a place where i could help you get this program off the ground and i didn't really have to do too much because of course you're the energizer bunny anyway <laughs> so thank you for your kind words but uh, you did get the program started and so tell us a little bit about that program
1: so we got the program started and very quickly realized that it was a popular program and that, um, you know, we're going through the opioid epidemic at this time. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, every, every West Virginia is breaking the record for everything on every worst list that you could be on, you know, West Virginia is ranked number one, you know, overdose deaths, um, the amount of people that are getting charged with drug offenses, possessions, you know, possession with intent to deliver and things like that. So um there couldn't have been a better time and my chief was a genius for thinking of this program because honestly that is what we needed because you know attorneys don't have the time to research attorneys have to do what they they need to do. They don't right. have time to research um, treatment facilities and things like that—they have a high caseload. Public defenders, public defenders always get a bad rap, um, be, but you know they are overworked. <laughs> they have yes, lots absolutely. of caseload. So, yes. you know, I I've worked with some wonderful public defenders over the years, but and I've always tried to defend them because I know how big their caseloads are. Um, and I worked with some wonderful. Um, public defenders at, at that corporation. They were great. And they really wanted to, uh, what I saw very quickly was that the court system, the judges, law enforcement, the sheriff's department, um, the public defenders, the prosecutors all wanted to have the same goal. They wanted to stop seeing these people. They wanted the cycle to stop. They wanted to actually get them the treatment that they needed. And if it wasn't for everybody, just having that, goal and 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 I think that you know I had worked with them for I had worked with them for years and they trusted my opinion and they knew I wasn't sending them to places that were they weren't going to be successful but we also learned very quickly that you know one person is going to take advantage of that opportunity and you know spend a year in treatment and then you know have 20 years sobriety and then you're going to get people, even even though we had a transporter that picked them directly up from you know the jail and t- took them straight to treatment, there's still going to be those people that walk around the building and you know go a right AWOL. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: yeah, it's difficult. I mean, difficult. I mean no we're way. we're not here to talk about addiction necessarily today because addiction means a lot of there's a lot of types of addiction, um, but really the point of your program and the work that you did. And I know, you know, so many times I remember coming to your office, sometimes we were just even going for lunch, and the stress you would be under because people were coming to you, and I I think this is important for our listeners to understand, you were catching people, and I mean catching, I mean, you were seeing people at the height of their addiction, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know that you lost people who thought they could party (laughs) one more time before they went into treatment. I know that people would come to you high um, and so, you know, the real—I mean, this is what I again—I just come back to: what an amazing person you are to be able to emotionally and mentally handle, physically too, that stressful job, that stressful kind of work of dealing with people who are not at, in their right minds at the moment, and right. you got to get them organized and get them to court and then get them from jail to the treatment center. And and as you told me, there were times people didn't didn't make it, right? Their terrible addiction.
1: It's, it's true. And just in our community prior to this happening, um, people in my um, class of 2000, okay. um, You know, we, myself and my husband both lost one of our childhood best friends to um, an overdose of opiates. So personally, Um, I had already experienced that loss with several classmates throughout my class and, you know, somebody that was very close to me. So I always actually on days that I that it was really hard, um, I always kept my my friend Erica's picture in my desk because Mm -hmm. I knew that even though I felt like I couldn't go on, like if I could just help one person, you know, just help some children not be momless or not not be fatherless or whatever. That was always my drive because, um, you know, her, you know, she was, I think 30, 30 years old. I think Mm. they were both close in their early thirties when they, when they passed away. And, um, so it was something that affected me at work, but also affected me personally because, you know, we were hit hard with, um, with opiates in West Virginia. And so, yeah, but you know, um, I, I, something that's funny is there was this one lady and I will never forget her. And, and she's celebrating, um, uh, almost three years clean and sober right now. But yes, she, when she came to me, she was like kicking and screaming not to go to rehab. She did not want to go to rehab, you know, um, the transporter had to bring her back a couple times and she was just, you know, dead set that she was not going to go. And she actually went to this place in Kaiser, West Virginia. Um, And, you know, that's like way, way, it, it's, it's about three and a half hours from here, but it was oh. just like in the mountains, you know? Yeah. And so that was even scarier, but she went there and she stayed there for over a year and she's almost celebrating three years clean. And these people come back and they tell you, you know, I got I regained custody of my children oh, or wow. um, I just I got I got a job, you know, or I finally got enrolled in school and stuff. And and these things keep you going every day, you know, yeah. we, we had an honorary luncheon um, for the people that made it through. And that, I always look forward to that luncheon because, you know, then you could actually see the results of your work, you know? Yes. So,
0: yeah. It's it was, really, that it it is important too. I, my, again, back to my friend, Marianne, we were talking about many times and when I did work as a GED instructor, you don't always mm-hmm. see people graduate, but you have to remember that you, you know, there's the planting of the seed as the Bible says, God plants and the rest of us water you know, and fertilize and help this thing grow, but you may not always see the end result of that growing. Sometimes you're just doing the watering and hoping for the best. Right. Um, But when you do get to celebrate those moments, whether you are the person that got them into treatment or through treatment or what have you, when you get to celebrate those moments with them, it celebrates you as well. I mean, it reflects back on your courage, your tenacity, you know, your generous spirit. And we all need to be, we all need to be watered. Right? right. Not just, not just the people we're helping, but you know, we need that reaffirmation that we're doing, that we're in the work that we need to be doing, but we also need to have our little spiritual buckets filled as well. So I, uh, it's exciting to hear about your clients. And then after now, I know that you've started on even now a new job. Um, it's been a while. I think mm-hmm. this was pre COVID you started over at that place. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Tell us so, a little bit about that. Okay. So, a lot of things that I was seeing after people were getting out of um, treatment centers is they were having a lack of resources. So, you know, they would go and they would put in the time and they would get clean and sober and they would then get out and they would not have their driver's license or not be able to apply for public housing because they had a felony on their record or not have transportation. Um, not have childcare, you know, just a lot of different things. There weren't a lot of, sometimes it's like, okay, now, now we've helped you and now here you go, you know, yeah, exactly. and just, there wasn't a lot of resources. So um, the governor and legislation started a new, new program and this program helped people that were in long-term recovery um, have access to education and career employment and they had a program that would help with driver's license. Well, let's face it, like if you don't have a driver's license yeah. and, you know, at that time, if you had unpaid court costs or fines, they, that would be a reason to suspend your license that has since changed in West Virginia and now they can't suspend Good. your license due to unpaid court costs. And yeah, fines. We'd, like to,
0: we'd like to curb your income for the reasons because you can't pay your fines so now we want to make sure you can't pay your fines.
1: yeah Yeah. I know I I never there's lots of things that that go on in the in the system like that that I'm always like okay um yeah yeah you know so so I heard about this new program and I decided you know I think that this is what where I'm supposed to go next so um the funny thing is is that I was waiting for the position to be um posted on the website for our region Mm -hmm. and I had met this lady that um worked for this company worked for Jobs and Hope and um she I thought she worked for Jackson County you know which is next to us but anyway come to find out I had been waiting and waiting and she was already uh, working for them in this county Oh, and I didn't know it. I thought that they hadn't posted the job yet, but she's like, no, that's my job that you're waiting for. Well, anyway, so I was like, oh no, I'm not going to be able to do it. But anyway, then like, I swear two weeks later, she, she got back with me because I had told her I'm like waiting forever for this job to post. I really want to apply for this job. And then she's like, well, that's what my job is. So anyway, long story short, a couple weeks later, she messaged me and said that they were going to hire another transition agent for this county and I was like okay so yeah so um, once
0: again tenacity persistence Dominique I kept telling her I kept telling her (laughs) I'm waiting right yeah 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 and I was really nervous so Um, what's your what is your job title now I'm a transition agent and and so
1: for for jobs in West
0: Virginia okay so you don't you do more than just help people get driver's license
1: oh yes yeah. It, we help overcome do? any barriers that they may have, and it's open to anybody, anybody that has barriers, and it could be transportation, housing, child care, criminal record, then we help them um, get access to education. Our end goal is to get them into a certification program. Um, we partner with all the technical centers and colleges, but our goal is to get them into um, you know, a certificate program or to pursue an associate's degree or whatever, whatever, each it's case by case and it all looks different for everybody. But um, the end goal is to help them overcome their barriers if they're in long-term recovery and then you know get them into career employment. What
0: are some of the, um, so for you as a professional or personally, however you want to phrase it, what are some of the strengths you have to bring to a job like that? Like what does it require on your part
1: Perseverance and um, you know multitasking. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Mm
1: -hmm. How many people do you? I mean, yeah. How many people
0: are on your roster? Like, do you have a roster of people, or how does it work? People call
1: the program; they get assigned to you. They can. uh, We have a call center, and then um, we work with First Choice, which is a call center, and then whatever county it is, it goes to that transition agent. So okay. uh, we've been very popular over the last, you know, we've just been in operation for a year. So we have um, pretty high caseloads right now. Yeah, yeah.
0: and we, so we offer
1: a lot of great services, so it's not surprising.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then with COVID, you're working from home now?
1: Yes. Yeah, and yeah and so we've so, been uh, allotted to do that, which has been nice.
0: So how are you interacting with your
1: clients? You talk to them on the phone or? Yes. Over the phone and Zoom, um, FaceTime. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're really like case managers that refer them out to other partner agencies, you know, but it has been a huge, uh, you know, from going to meeting people in person, which I really prefer to, you know, being on the phone all day long.
0: Yeah. I'm not crazy about being on the phone myself. Yeah. Tell, so I know that also. Then um, somewhere along the line, you got involved with the Mid Ohio Valley Reentry Council. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with them and what you're doing for them? Okay.
1: Okay. Um, uh, there was a lady, um, Bev Sharp, who came from Kentucky, and they had reentry councils in Kentucky, and she really wanted to. She saw that West Virginia was needing that and missing that, so mm. she. She basically came and presented to us and said, hey, you know, we're trying to get reentry council started in West Virginia. Now, when you say she
0: presented to us, was this at your transition job or before the public defender's office? No,
1: I think that she just, through through community resources, they sent out... they sent out some oh, flyers see. that they were going to be meeting at a certain time at a certain place, and I ended up attending one of those meetings. I see. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, because um, you know you really need to, in order to do to be successful at case management, you really need to know all your community resources mm-hmm. and all your nonprofits and just all those things because um, you know a lot of people don't know about the food pantry or right. that community resources will assist you or Catholic charities, you know, or mm-hmm. churches have places that will help you and things like that. So, um, but anyway, basically she came and was presenting and saying, you know, they have had a lot of success in Kentucky with this re-entry, with a re-entry council in that If we would like to start one ourselves, then she was, you know, basically putting it on us to either, you know, start one. So, you know, um, I volunteered. What? That's so surprising. (laughs) I volunteered to help get it started. And now we're like two years, two years in and, you know, it's been, it's been really nice. Um, I enjoy doing it because, you know, when I, There are so many barriers that a person that is re-entering back into the community has to deal with. Um, and then, you know, there's not a lot of uh, you know, when you let me just explain it this way because I think it's the easiest way. And we did we do a reentry simulation, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. It's where everyday people, you know, will just get released like you or me. And then we'll be given, we'll have to go check in with our probation officer and then we'll have to get a job and we'll have to get a bus pass and just all these different things that you have to do. Um, we took that simulation. And when you take it, your mind is blown because you're like, wow, this is like almost impossible. Yeah. Um, you know,
0: People who don't have any resources deal. have to be as resourceful as possible with like pretty much zero. They've just literally <laughs> walked out with the clothes on their backs.
1: Well, and, now and they have to, during yeah. this during this simulation, a lot of people just end up right back in jail. Yeah, I'm sure they do, <laughs> I, because a lot of people are getting released
0: right back into the place where they left, where the problems were. They're not being released into like a whole like you know a fresh start. They're just right. going means like us going home at the end of the day. You'd like to think that when you came home, your house would be clean and the bills would be paid, and there'd be food in the refrigerator and uh, the heat would be turned on. But if you into your house as you left it every time you come home and that's <laughs> exactly. the barriers that people deal with. So for the Mid-Ohio Valley Reentry Council, what do they do in particular? And I know it right now with COVID things are a little different, but but just in general, you know, how right. does how does it benefit the community?
1: And we we plan on doing all these things in you know 2020 to get our feet on the ground to right. actually get out in the community and do more instead of just meeting um and having but i i think that i and i just say that but so many people are helped you know just by having these meetings with presenters so each month we meet on the second friday of each month at 10am and we used to meet at mountain state college um but now we meet via zoom and we still have good attendance because we have um speakers every month that come and present resources that they offer in our community Mm -hmm. so we've been able to you know make lists um to give to people that are re-entering back into the community to show them the resources that they need um early on we collected a lot of backpacks with hygiene and things like that to give Mm -hmm. to them and um but really you know um (sighs) At the homeless shelter they might not know how to get somebody access to um, housing or Mm -hmm. you know just different things clothing Um, so every month we have somebody from the community present to other people and then you know in our day-to-day just in my day-to-day work schedule I'm able to go oh okay yeah I can send you here and and you know, I have contacts for that because we became a really close group. I and, we and have also, each other's information. Sorry to interrupt you, um, Dominique. I know that also
0: anybody can be on this council. So right. regardless of your background, your education, whatever it is, anyone who wants to participate in this council can be a part of it and can attend the meetings and benefit from the information. So yes. um, when I post this, um, this interview in a couple of weeks. I'll make sure to put a link. Now, this, okay. uh, we have a, a Facebook page, MOVRC. Yes. Yeah, there's a Facebook page. Um, let
1: me page. see what it is.
0: Okay. And I I'll, I'll make, it. It. it's fine. We don't have to rewrite this second, but I'll, I will put a link to okay. it. So anybody who's listening can participate and find out about it and how to, you know, join. And of course, you know, ideally, our world is going to go back to a more normal way of doing things, uh, especially as the vaccines roll out. And so, you know, maybe by the fall or late winter. I mean, uh, early winter next, you know, of 2021, we'll be back to meeting in person. But, you know, there, I know, and I'm excited because I actually am part of this council. And um, despite my very poor attendance at meetings,
1: Yes, but you're a godsend as a secretary to get the, <laughs> the information sec- I mean,
0: well, that's good. I mean, that's why I'm the secretary, because it requires very little at the moment. But <laughs> I do look forward, you know, to being able to get out in the community and do some work with people and be a part of it. I mean, I'm, that's a calling. I've actually worked in reentry myself as the GED teacher. That was my role. And I did teach in, um, you know, prison and jail and so forth. So it is, as people know who listen to my podcast, I, adult literacy is near and dear to my heart speaking of adult literacy now before we move on I do want you brought two books with you to talk about today so I want to get to those but is there anything else you'd like to tell us Dominique about your you know just your journey through life I mean as I said you're just a remarkable person to me and you know if there's you know if you had to give anyone specifically I think one of the things I'd like to touch on is um, not that you have a lack of education but I also know you haven't finished your degree yet and I know you're working on that what advice do you have for other women? In fact, one uh, an interview I just did with somebody else, my cousin Lynn, she's in her early 40s, just went back to school to finish her bachelor's degree. And um, so I'm just asking people for advice. What advice do you have for women who may be in your position, the young single working mom who was getting work and trying to push ahead, but is starting herself to run into some barriers when it comes to education? Do you have any advice or you know, just... What, what would you say to somebody who's listening right now? What would you like to have heard from somebody?
1: <clears throat> well, I think that, you know, um, I became a mother at 19 and I was working. And at the time I, I was trying to juggle um, going to school and working full time and I really wish at this point that I would have a lot of people have accomplished that. I know you yourself accomplished that. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that I should have just pushed through, but I don't think it's ever too late. I work with a lady at the public defender office and she went back to law school when she was, she went to become an attorney and went back to school when she was like 44, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, um, what I've realized now is that, you know, I wish I would have started earlier because I feel like there is, despite what experience you have, like there could be any job and, you know, I might be able to do it, but there's, people are proud to be able to accomplish having a degree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is a certain way that other, others look at you if you don't have a degree. Okay. Um, and I feel like I want to be a part of that club, you know, it's just something that I it's the ne- next phase of my life. And I want to be able to say that I was able to do this. So, you know, I just had my, my son that I was 19 that, you know, he moved out in 2020. That was a big, huge thing that I just went through. And I'm really, I would definitely encourage women to prepare themselves for that because yes. I yeah. thought all my codependency issues were over. Um, you know, I thought, oh, by now I'm not codependent on anything, you know. Um, Until but, things changed. Man, I, I'm i realizing a lot that I, my role revolved around my children. So, yeah. you know, now that he's on his own and he's like proud to be doing things on his own and he doesn't need mom's help, it's a huge transition, which I still have um, my 11-year-old and I'm so thankful for that and I just want to like soak in every day and every second that I have with him because it just went so fast you yeah know? it does I, go fast yeah and I remember being like oh when the kids move out you know it's going to be great we're going to you know drink margaritas at lunch <laughs> and go to Florida every other week or I don't know what I was right thinking. right right so you think you're going to do all these things and yeah. you don't realize that you know, um. you feel
0: a little lost. I mean, I know how I felt, you know, when Lauren moved out and um, well, that's kind of a different story. I actually asked her to move out, but that's, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, And I would say now that she's an adult and living in New York City, she and I are closer than ever. And I can not tell you, I mean, um, of course you and I grew up in a time when parents didn't have cell phones, but now growing up, I mean, having a child and a cell phone, how easy it is to stay connected is mind-blowing for me. You know, when I, right. I have some in-laws and they have a daughter, two kids now at college and, um, you know, they talk to their kids every day and I laugh, yeah. I'm like, when I went to college, uh, there was one phone and I mean, <laughs> there was a phone out in the hallway that you could use. And actually we did have a phone in our room. Um, but we wrote letters to my parents yeah. and my parents wrote us letters and I yeah. didn't see my parents, you know, when in September and I saw my parents at Thanksgiving, very fast Thanksgiving, and then home for Christmas for two weeks, and then home at spring break. Home, but there wasn't. I didn't see and talk to my parents, and and they had all these other kids. I mean, in their minds, when you turned eighteen, that was it. You're done. You, you yeah. move on Now because you know that's what you do. And, yeah. uh You know, I'm happy to still be a, a bit of a helicopter parent for my daughter who's 33. You know, I'm still excited. Yeah. Be like, did you take your vitamins today? And she'll be like, Mom, stop it. Yeah. No, so yeah, I do know, I, I mean, we, I, I think parents, as moms, know, at least we do go through the withdrawal.
1: Yeah. Know. But um, so I, one of the things I, I guess I, I thought he was going to live with me until he was like 37. I, <laughs> I was just going to be okay with that, <laughs> which how unhealthy is that?
0: I don't um, know. But when this COVID thing hit, I was saying to my daughter, you better come live with us now. <laughs> you better move <laughs> home right away, honey. Yeah. Um, the one thing I appreciated you saying was that, uh, you know, it's never too late. And, and that's really the truth. And it's not like you have to have a college degree to be successful or to be somebody, but it certainly makes it easier because many times when it comes down to getting that promotion or getting the job, that's going to be the defining factor. Do you have a yeah. college degree? And it is frustrating because um, it costs money and it's hard work to get there. And especially when you're a young single mom or a working mom, as many of us are when we went back to school, you know, we were working during the day, going to school at night, working on the weekends, what have you. Um, but yeah that tenacity and um, persistence that's required to do that has already been developed because we got this far, you know, being right. mothers and being, even if you're a single mom or, or whatever, you know, holding down a job and raising your family. And um, it does take work and it is a defining moment for a lot of us to really push through and get that degree. So I'm not necessarily saying you're a better person for having the degree, like parenting, it just brings out a different part of your personality. That you don't normally would not otherwise have a chance to learn about yourself. You don't have to have kids to be happy, but if you are a parent, it's something else that you learn about yourself that develops because you're parenting. Or if you're a a parent of a pet, you know some people don't have children, but they have pets, and those pets are just as important to them as a child is to um, other people. And so I just appreciate you saying it's never too late. You know, even if you're doing one class at a time, it you know you're going to be fifty someday. Might as well be fifty with a with a degree. Right, You know, you might as well put the work in. You're going to get there anyway. So not there's no reason not to put the work in. And I think the other thing that's important for young people or whoever you are that's listening, if you're interested in going back to school, um, you need to have a support group. There needs to be people behind you cheering you on because it is scary at an older age to go back, even though you'll find out you're far more intelligent than you were when you were 18. You're much more likely to
1: do the work than you were at 18. I mean, yeah. I learned a lot about yeah, my I totally agree. I mean, I was not in a healthy relationship then, you know, sorry, go ahead. What was that? No, uh, I mean, everything's changed since then, you know, at that point, everything was just chaotic and um, I'm, I'm finally in a healthy relationship. You know, I just got married a couple years ago and I have a wonderful supportive husband and, you know, my son's 11. So, you know, and I really think that my son, my oldest son moving out, is really like kicking me in the in the butt to get going. You yeah. Know? Now it's yeah. your time to work That's on right. yourself to do what you need to do to get That's where right. you need to be. So
0: I agree. And the money is available. I mean, it is I'll be paying student loans till I'm 74. And I mean that literally. I'm still, but I to me it was worth it. You know, I at the time that I was doing this, I wasn't married, but I was rent so I was renting and my daughter was in high school. And I just right. looked at it as an investment. Right. Right. And um, like I said, you know, yes, I'll be paying on student loans for a long time, but it's worth it to me, you know. Yeah, that, that's always been the scary part too. So many opportunities that I just would not have had otherwise. And so it's not necessarily that you have to go to college and get a four-year degree. You can get an associate's degree. You can go to a trade school. Some of those jobs pay phenomenal through the trade school. Oh yeah. I mean, anytime you can just you know advance yourself and being a lifelong learner. Is a great way to appreciate yourself and to show love for yourself. You know, everybody, the everybody, the library, the internet, there's countless opportunities to continue improving yourself, even if you don't go back to school. What's stopping you from getting, you know, or going online and ordering library books and learning more about something. So anyway, I just, you know, big proponent of that
1: nonsense. I mean, there's so much more access to things. I mean, obviously, it's going to be easier than it was 20 some years ago. Um, But I love learning, Um, always love learning. So, you know, um, and there's just so many ways to do it now. And it's so accessible and it's right at your fingertips, you know, um, We're doing right now, if you would ask me what I've, what I've been reading the most of, it's about the keto diet because we've been doing the keto diet and, you know, I watch YouTube videos or, you know, I look up, you know, interviews or recipes or, you know, all kinds of things. So yeah, I think it's definitely easier in this, in this world that we
0: live in now to And COVID, especially people are learning a lot of different ways to reach out and connect with other people. Listen in the we have about 10 minutes left. Let's move over to the books that you brought today's. So tell us about okay. the first either one. I know you brought two, so start with one of them and tell us a little bit about it.
1: Okay. Um so Girl Wash Your Face by Rachel so you Hollis. You want yes. me to hold it up? Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, Girl wash um, Your Face.
1: Okay. Yeah, this is probably, I've read this a a few months ago, and basically, you know, it says stop believing the lies about who you are so you can become who you were meant to be. Um, I've been really on this journey since COVID started because I am like somebody that likes to be out and going and, you know, just being trapped inside you know, and I think every woman has this negative voice. That's like right in the back of your head. That's like, no, you can't do that. Or who are you kidding? You know, or (laughs) I've always struggled with The imposter syndrome. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the narrator, the negative narrator that's in the back of your brain. That's constantly telling you you can't do stuff. And this is what this book was about. And basically, you know, she, she tells all of her hardships that she went through and overcome to be where she is today. And it wasn't just a walk in the park. It's not like she just, you know, wrote a best selling book like that, you know, right, it took right. a lot of struggle and. Um, well, it's
0: all, it can't be authentic. I mean, you know, you, if you haven't gone through it, you know, then you can't be authentic when you write it and you're not going to connect with people who understand what you're talking about. Right. And that's right. so key is that authenticity. I think when you're, when you're writing stories. Is there anything um, a particular passage you'd like to share with us from that book? Can you think of a place? And we have we have several minutes so take a minute if you see something.
1: Okay. okay. Um, things that helped me, she says, non-judgmental friends. We often become whomever we surround ourselves with. If your friends are full of gossip and Oh, sorry, I got lost. That's okay. And volatile. I promise you'll start to develop the habit. When you're looking for a community of women, look for the ones who want to build each other up instead of tear each other down. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I have always, I have a really great group of strong women that are my friends, mm-hmm. and I consider you one of them. And I've just been so blessed to just have some of the greatest girlfriends and, you know, I learned like, that's something that we learn early, you know, you're as good as the company you keep because if you're, if you're keeping bad company, you're going to end up, you know, in bad situations. So yeah. Yeah. uh, um, policing, Policing myself, if we're already judgmental and let's be honest, most of us are. We have to work hard on policing ourselves. When I find myself judging someone in my head, I force myself to stop, think of compliments about that person. By doing this, I'm learning to look for the positive instead of reaching for the negatives. And that is so important with yes. what I do. <laughs> and the biggest reason that I've, which will go on to my next book uh, that I've, that I've oh, good. Have been okay. emotional intelligence. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like the biggest thing that's made me be able to be successful in what I do is treating people like human beings, like not like, Oh, you're, you know, you're a, you're a drug addict or, Oh, you're, you know, you're the crime that you committed. Um, basically I've just always tried to understand that there's more to their story. Yeah. And, um, we, we have been working on emotional intelligence. This is something that I've been interested in for a while. Um, you know, I, I, I made a little training to do with the recovery coaches because, and the attorneys, because I think that sometimes it's hard for an attorney to get down to the level of their client. Mm-hmm. And um, emotional intelligence really helps with that. So I would encourage anybody that hasn't taken the emotional intelligence test Mm -hmm. to take it because you'll be surprised at how how much you are. Yeah. From emotional intelligence, um, where do you think it begins?
0: What would be the most basic element, do you think, of emotional intelligence? Like what would be one of the traits or characteristics that you would rate as key to emotional intelligence?
1: Mm. Just, I mean, really knowing somebody, really knowing somebody's past, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. um So good listening. You'd have to
0: be a good listener.
1: Yes. To do yeah, that. It's You'd have always to be about able- IQ, you know, some people with higher emotional intelligence get farther in their careers than people with high IQ because yeah. they know how to talk to people. Yeah. I think, really is the gift of gab, like the honestly is the biggest thing with emotional intelligence is actually, um, not just listening to talk, but listening to actually understand what the person's saying. And then, mm-hmm. and then saying that back, back to them a lot of times, like, um, you know, we've taken motivational interviewing. I've taken that a couple of times. Oh, right, um, right. and I love, I love that because you actually have to, when somebody tells you something, you repeat it back to them so that you know that, so they know that you're actually hearing what they say and, you know, just trying to stay positive. Do you have a, negative.
0: Some, um, the, anything out of that book that you'd like to share? Any passages out of that um,
1: book? I don't know.
0: Okay. Well, that's okay. Let me Take a look. I do, I, while you're looking, I'll, you know, throw in my two cents also about emotional intelligence. And okay. that, um, I think it's, very difficult because the first thing you have to do is look at yourself and it's not easy to do a self-assessment honestly because we don't want to see what we need to improve we like to think that we're amazing and great and we can just go along but that self-awareness of where it is that we fall short and how we can improve ourselves uh, and then that as we talked about being able to listen truly listen actively listen to other people my friend a friend of mine Ann frost and i do something called the frost advisory And we do a lot of these leadership trainings, emotional intelligence being part of it. And one of the phrase that's used often is keenly attentive. You know, you're not just attending, you're keenly attentive, everything else is blocked out. And that's not easy to accomplish because there's so much noise in the world, you know, noise in our own heads, noise around us. The world would like us to pay attention to so many things. You know, it's not easy.
1: All right, so did you find something? Um. It's just self-awareness. Self-awareness okay, is your ability to accurately perceive your own emotions in the moment and understand tendencies across situations. Self-awareness includes staying on top of your typical reactions to specific events or challenges and people. A keen understanding of your tendencies is important. It helps you to quickly make sense of your emotions, high degree of self-awareness and requires a willingness to tolerate the discomfort of focusing on feelings that may be negative. Uh-huh. So you have to be really self-aware. Also. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you,
0: that, and, it really, you know, that's where it really starts. You know, any kind of leadership that we're talking about is the ability to lead yourself first and foremost. Right. And that's where that authenticity comes in. If you can't lead yourself, there's no way you're leading other people, or it may appear that you are, but you're not really. And um, you know when you want to. And leading doesn't mean you're the head of the company or that you're in charge of everything. Leading just means that you're able to connect with people and help us and help a group move forward towards achieving a goal. So whether you're the coach or the janitor or the dishwasher or the CEO, you know those leadership skills come into play no matter where you are. You know what level you are in your in your group. Um, Dominique, I have to ask you a few questions now about when you do read. Do you use a bookmark? Yes. What kind of bookmarks do you use? Just random. Random? Yeah. yeah. Like a um, receipt let's see. Or...
1: Let's see what... I just have like a perfume sample in, <laughs> <Okay>. in here. <laughs> Where'd you get the perfume sample from? I don't know. That's a good <laughs> okay, question. just random. I so thought I'm it would make rent. my book smell good as yeah. well as acting as a bookmark. Okay, very good. So and, I don't um, have a necessarily... I don't have one that I use all the like time. Like particular...
0: And do you, um, do you prefer hardback or paperback or eBooks?
1: Um, you don't care. Hard book.
0: Hard book. hardback. Um, yeah. Are you, do you feel okay? Like, will you, if it's, you own the book, will you take notes in your book? Will you write or do you keep like a separate notebook? Um, I usually oh. just write in the book. Write in the book. And how yeah. about turning the pages down, like dog ear the pages? Will you do that
1: sometimes? or are you like, them pristine? So you'll um, no, up. I like to do that because I like to go back and oh, see okay. things that you know, I was really drawn to, or might want to reference again. Yeah. I'm bad with it. Probably nobody would want my old books.
0: (laughs) Well, I, you know, me personally, I am very similar. I love my books. I love books, as you can see from my bookshelf. And um, I often acquainted, equated to have like the Velveteen Rabbit. The Velveteen Rabbit wasn't truly loved till it was missing an eye and its ear was bent and the clothes were raggedy. You know, that's how when you know, something is really loved when your book, to me. You know, that. so when I, now some books, when I read books just for fun, I don't usually mark them up and I use a bookmark. And I mean, there, there's, you know, I'm not trying to keep them pristine, but then when I'm reading for education, you know, there's definitely a lot more writing involved and I, I do yeah. have a notebook and I write notes and stuff. And oh. You know, to your point, being able to go back and really look at stuff because, um, you know, I don't want to have to go back and reread the whole book. I, if I want to reference it, I just want to go back and hit the highlights and see what was important to me out of that particular piece so um but I you know it's always fun to ask people how they are with their books and especially for people who are book lovers you know the way that they treat their books
1: yes I take a lot of notes a lot of notes um I'm a note taker and I feel like that's how I learn Um, yeah me too I learn better if I take notes me too yeah Mm -hmm. it's like I have to retell myself a couple of times
0: a couple of different ways and writing helps me accomplish that yeah I agree
1: and I'm a am po- the post-it queen too. Um, oh, really? Inside which is your funny book? Because, huh, yeah. Inside the book? Well, anywhere, everywhere. I use post-its everywhere. But the funny thing is I, my grandma used to be the same way. So she'd have post-its on the dash of her car, post-its on the refrigerator, post-its everywhere. And now I am exactly the same way she is. Oh, is so, so I have a, a post-it to remind myself of another post-it that I have, you know, <laughs> I'm the it's post-it queen. It's yeah. Trail. And then I forget some of yeah, it and right. still
0: forget something somehow. Uh, you know what? I am the person I am big, I love, I have this um calendar, a paper calendar that I use. And I, I buy the same one every year. So it's a system, it's called the 17 month do-it-all calendar. And it's a you know, it's just a certain system of the that it get away gets used. But now of course I also have to use my phone. And you already know, I missed a meeting earlier this month because it wasn't for whatever reasons. I didn't have it in my phone and it was not in my book. And then I missed our thing yesterday because it wasn't in my phone and it wasn't in my book. I'm really, I apologize for that, but that's usually how I have a double system to keep track. Yeah. Myself.
1: You're, um, you're usually better at remembering things than I am. So, well, you have a lot more going on right now, sister.
0: <laughs> yeah, you do. Cause you're so busy, all this stuff that you have going on. I'm sure. You know, when I think about the clients that you work with, the Mid-Ohio Valley Valley Resource Council, I mean, Reentry Council, Mm -hmm. your kids, your husband, the home, I mean, just everything. It's a lot to keep track of. And, you know, as we get older, we have fewer things to keep track of, but that's because we can't keep track of everything. So I probably have a lot to keep track of. I just don't know it anymore. (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) All right, (laughs) Dominique. It was so great talking with you today. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything we didn't talk about today? that you hoped we would, or is there anything you didn't get a chance to say that you hoped you could?
1: Um, I don't think so. No. I think we covered basically everything. Okay. It very seems good. Like. good. I'm I was really did. nervous. I was really nervous about, uh, you know, I hope to, I went back and I watched all your previous interviews and all these amazing people. And I've really enjoyed listening to them. And good, I'm just, I'm I can't wait for the next person, but I was like, what am I gonna have in common? I don't know what to say. You know, I mean, someday I've I've someday I hope to write a book. And you know, it's just I have started several times, but you know, maybe someday we'll be able to talk about that.
0: Absolutely. We can talk about that anytime. Well, I've also told you, you know, you said to me, Oh, you know, you started a podcast. And I just want to say anybody can start a podcast, you know, whatever your reasons are, as long as you're not in it to make money uh, and have a million followers right off the bat. You know, when you're doing something passionate that you love and you're talking to people about things that are interesting for you, that's what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So, you know, you could make a podcast about writing a book.
1: Right. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I always enjoy just talking with you. So, Uh, Yeah,
0: thank you. I'm glad that we could see each other. It's been difficult with COVID. We've only seen each other once. Um, yes. But yeah, talk anytime. So thank you, Dominique, for coming today. It was just uh, yeah a real pleasure to speak with you. And for my guests, I mean, my listeners out there, thank you for joining us today. As always, I'll post um, some links to the books that Dominique referenced. And I'll post a link to the Mid-Ohio Valley Reentry Council so you get more information about that. And um, I, I'm not sure who my next guest will be. I have some people lined up But uh, I think by the time you hear this episode, we're going to be close to uh, early February, maybe even mid February. So um, hopefully by then I'll have more people planned. Anyway, great to see you, Dominique. Thank you so much. Now, Dominique, don't you hang up. I'll say goodbye to you off the air.